Can anybody remember or think about what your favorite Christmas gift of all time was? You can even classify it. Gifts as a kid, gifts as an adult, sentimental gifts, other kind. Just think in your mind, favorite Christmas gifts of all time. I was asking this um, the other day, uh, and I asked my wife, Katie, this, um, and her favorite Christmas gifts of all time were all sentimental. Uh, my favorite Christmas gifts of all time were all technological. <laughs> uh, so we differed vastly. Uh, sentimental, but also technological. We'll classify it there. I can remember as a kid, uh, distinctly, I don't remember a whole lot of Christmas gifts, but I remember uh, w- one Christmas going down into the living room and opening a present and in it was a CD Walkman. Anybody remember those? Some of you maybe too. It, was a, it wasn't a Sony Walkman. It was off-brand. It was Walmart brand. But it was a, it, for me, it was a CD Walkman. Um, and, you rem- and I used to listen to music in my old... Uh, yeah, I had a tape one. I ho- put it on my belt. And, uh, and uh, when I would mow, I would crank it up. And uh, the CD was different because on the CD Walkman, every step you took, the song skipped. You know what I'm talking about? And it would go, and I'd be pumping along to something like DC Talk as I'm mowing the yard, and they'd be singing, free it last, and it'd be, you know, that kind of deal. And I was so excited to get this, I mean, I opened it up, and I didn't have a whole lot of CDs, but I had a few, and I'd pop them in there, and, uh, and uh, it was just the best thing in the world. I listened to music, we grew up in Houston, we did Christmas in Dallas, and then in Oklahoma with family, and all the way up, listening to music on that little CD, it was, it was incredible. But then I remember as an adult, uh, Katie got me something, one of our very first Christmases together. I still have it here. It sit, actually sits on a shelf in my office. It's, a, it's an old e-reader uh, from 10, 15 years ago. It still works. I, I was surprised. I opened it up, and I said, hey, it's still on. Hey, look at that. It's cool. Anybody have an e-reader at home? It's e-ink screen, not tablet? Well, what I loved about this is I liked reading on this, obviously. I actually like reading on this more than I like reading on a tablet, and actually, honestly, more than I like reading in books, because uh, it's easy to hold, it, it, the whole shebang, but uh, they kind of phased them out as tablets got more popular, and they don't put out as much info on them anymore, but uh, I remember when she got this for me, I was shocked, because I had just made some, this is what women do sometimes, I made a side comment some months ago and, uh, you know, was just hoping, but not really thinking anybody was listening. But she picked up on it, the one side comment, and uh, bought the thing, and I opened it. Um, actually, they were sold out. So I opened it, and there was a, a printout. <laughs> It'll be there in a few weeks. Uh, but I was so pumped to get that. Um, but Christmas gifts, uh, we anticipate, we look forward to, we hope, and, and you know you're an adult when you transition from the things you ask for and the gifts you're most excited about are socks and underwear. Uh, you know what I'm saying? i tell you, when my parents and my grandmother was asking what I wanted for Christmas this year, the number one thing I wanted were socks because socks tend to either disappear in my house or they are always having holes. And so I wanted socks more than anything else. That's when you know you're grown-ups, when you're excited about getting socks. But we're going to look today at some gifts that came uh, that we celebrate at Christmas time in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. So you can look at that uh, if you brought a Bible. If not, it's on the pew rack there right in front of you. It's on page uh, 803. 
All the scripture's also going to be on the screen, so don't worry about that if you don't want to, but it's, it's right there for you. Matthew chapter 2. You see, Jesus, when he was born, he came into the world as a child, as a baby, as a helpless baby. The almighty creator of everything came into the world helpless, and he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, Mary and Joseph had been told by angels that he was coming, and they went to Bethlehem for a census uh, that was going to be taken to have to deal with taxes, to be counted so they could pay more in taxes, and they went to Bethlehem, and then they ended up staying in Bethlehem for a little while. And being in Bethlehem for a little while, they ended up uh, uh, either purchasing or renting a house for a couple of years. And then we get here to Matthew chapter 2, to a unique scene. Look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Bethlehem. Wise men from the east. Now, we're going to find out that this, you know, they're not coming to Bethlehem to the stable where Mary and Joseph were and the shepherds came the night of Jesus' birth. Uh, this is a little while later, so all of our nativity scenes are wrong. <laughs> the, the, I, you know, I have a theory that the nativity scene makers just want to make you buy more stuff, and so they include the wise men in the scene, so it costs more. But uh, the wise men show up. This is actually a couple years after Jesus is born. But what's interesting to me is, is um, I just doing some research on this a while back, and, and recently it was brought back to mind, but... That word wise men, some of your Bibles may have that translation there. That word is uh, magi. Anybody ever heard the wise men called magi? Magi, yeah. Magi. And, and so these wise men, these magi, come to bring Jesus these gifts. And we don't know how many guys there were. I mean, you, you know, it, people often think there's three of them because there were three gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the scripture doesn't actually say how many there were. There's actually uh, one denomination. Christian denomination that believes there were 12 of them, uh, but nothing in scripture tells us how many guys there were. We just know that there's more than one, because it says wise men, plural. So there's more than one, uh, and they come, the Magi come to uh, Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, they come to Jerusalem. But you begin to ask yourself, so these are just wise men, these are we three kings, these are Magi, who are these guys? And if you dig a little deeper, you see that this is not the first time that Magi are talked about in scripture. They're actually talked about in the Old Testament all the way back in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel was a, a boy who was taken captive by Babylon when Israel was defeated. He was taken to Babylon, quickly promoted because it was seen God's hand was on him. And he was appointed in Daniel, chapter 2, to the chief magi, was the original word. The chief magi. Daniel's given this title. Uh, and he's over this, this group of other magi there in the Babylonian government. And as the chief magi, uh, it's also interesting because these words tie together, magi, because in Daniel chapter 9, just a few chapters later, an angel comes and gives him a prophecy about the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah coming. And you know the, what the angel's name was who came and told Je Daniel, the chief magi, this? Gabriel. Gabriel, the one who came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, was the angel who came to Daniel, the chief magi, and said, the anointed one's going to come. And he gave Daniel a time frame and said, he's going to, going to, he's going to come in about so many years from now. And so Daniel, the chief magi, hears this. And now here in Matthew chapter 2, we have more magi showing up 
when Jesus is born, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Messiah. And so there's some really smart people, some scholars who actually believe that Daniel told his other Magi buddies about this, and they've been looking for the Messiah now for years and years, centuries. And now something happens, this star comes in the sky, and the Magi who are looking for the Son of God, who are looking for the Messiah in anticipation of his arrival, see this change in the heavens, and they pursue it. And they show up in Jerusalem, the capital city. But Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in Bethlehem, just a few miles away. So they get to Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. And they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now this is very significant. Uh, because Herod, the king, the way they were, Rome had taken over this whole region, and they had a bunch of weird ways they set up their, you know, regional government. They had governors, but they also had kings, and kings kind of had absolute authority, except they were answerable to Caesar, and Herod, this guy right here, was the king over this region, but what's significant about him is he's extremely paranoid, extremely paranoid that somebody's going to come and kill him and take his kingdom, so much so that he killed family members over this because he thought his son was conspiring. He thought one of his wives was conspiring. And so he did a preemptive strike to, to prevent that from happening. And so he hears, this paranoid king, hears that the son of God has arrived. Hears that the king of the Jews has arrived. And here come these magi with this, I mean, they were undoubtedly wealthy, with this big old huge entourage walking into the capital city saying, we're here to celebrate the new king. And Herod the king says, wait a minute, wait, uh, excuse me? I'm, I, no, I'm not a fan of this. And so it says there in that verse, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So when the king, who's lopping heads off because he's paranoid, gets scared, everyone around him gets scared. And that's what we're seeing here in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 4. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, uh, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod, the king, goes in to the really smart guys of, of religious information and asks them, where is the Messiah going to be born? And they say, Bethlehem, just right down the road, Bethlehem. And so Herod takes this information, he's... he's hearing this information, hearing what he hears from the Magi, okay, the Son of God's been born, the Messiah's been born, and he's supposedly down in Bethlehem, so what are we going to do with this? Verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now, this is very interesting. He pulls them in secretly. This is, he doesn't want this to get widely known. He doesn't want word to get out to Jerusalem that the Messiah has been born. He wants all this to go down in secret. And so he calls the, the Magi in and says, guys, okay, when did the star appear? What, what, about what time? And from what we can tell from the rest of the text, this was about two-ish years prior to this moment. About two years ago, they say. Say, okay, about two years ago or so, he, the star appeared. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
So Herod, again, in secret, is telling the Magi, you guys go and find him, and I want to come down there, and I want to worship him too, all the while knowing in the back of his mind, Herod wants to come, and he wants to kill him because he doesn't want somebody else to, to take his throne from him. And he's not above doing this to a baby, and so he wants to do this. So he tells the guys, you go, you find him, and, and, and when you find him, send me word, send one of your entourage guys back here to tell me so I can come, and I can bow down in that house, and I can worship him. And so the Magi, they don't know anything about Herod. They hear from Herod that this is what's going to happen. And so Herod, uh, they hear this word, say, okay, sure, we'll send you word. And so they head to Bethlehem. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star they've been following, the star that they saw probably a couple years before and trying to figure out the issue, and then they finally set out after observing it for a while, stopped over this one place, and they were able to discern it was over this one house. And they rejoiced, it says, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is abundant rejoicing. This is, this is, this is uh, so much happiness that is just exploding out of them. This, the best way I can, I can uh, that I picture it is like, say you're watching your favorite sports team, and you've been watching them for a long time, and they are terrible. And if you're a Cowboys fan like me, you know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden, they do something really good, and you're jumping off the couch, and you're yelling, and you're screaming. And I tell you, there was a few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, the Cowboys had a great game, the one of the year. <laughs> And the house, my house was empty, except for me and Ethan, the baby. He's one. And he likes to be loud and doesn't get to be loud all that often, really, really loud and in a happy sort of way. And the house was empty, and every time the Cowboys did something good, which, again, does not happen very often, I was jumping off the couch and yelling and throwing my hands up, and he would look at me, and he would do it too, and he would clap and get so excited, which made me want to do it even more, but see his reaction, and that's what I picture when I picture the wise men when it says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, the, the, the fact that it's mentioned there twice, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were over and abundantly excited, shouting and screaming, being undignified with the, what they're watching here because this is something they've been anticipating for centuries and here's the culmination in that house right in front of them. And so they make a beeline. Verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they go into the house, they see Mary, they see Jesus. It says they fell down and worshiped. They're overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. And they fall down and they worship him right there, right in the foyer, right in the entryway to the house. The guys, the entourage guys are behind them. Mary is in front of them. There's Jesus. And now picture this too, right? Jesus isn't a little baby here. He's like a year and a half, two years old. Have you ever been around a year and a half old, a two-year-old? Are they very still? I mean, the picture in our mind is, oh, there's Mary and there's Jesus and the wise men are bowed down. It's this all serene moment. 
I've got a baby in my house, not quite one and a half. He's like one in three, four months. He's not still. He's everywhere, all over the place. And so Jesus, who is 100% human, just as he's 100% God, he's not standing still. He's moving. He's moving around, and the wise men are still there, just still overwhelmed by the presence of the Son of God as a one-and-a-half-year-old, worshiping him there in the entryway. And then they offer him the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts that were very expensive. Gold signifies value. It signifies Jesus' kingship. Uh, frankincense was used in the temple in worship. Uh, it, it symbolizes Jesus' priestly nature, that he is worthy to be worshipped. And then myrrh, it was this mixture of things like this kind of gummy thing and this kind of resin, and it was this mixture that they used for a variety of things, uh, but particularly they packed it in the wrappings of someone when they died, which was a symbol of what Jesus was to face in just three decades, his death, his sacrifice for our salvation. So there in the gifts, we have his, his, his value, his worth, his kingship in the gold. We have his priestly nature, his divine nature in the frankincense, worthy to be worshipped. We have the, the symbol of his sacrifice in the myrrh, in his death, in his resurrection, in these gifts from the Magi. The Magi brought gifts to the Son of God. They thought ahead, they planned ahead, they carried these things for a long time in anticipation of meeting with Jesus. They brought these gifts to Jesus. Now, if you think about Jesus' worth, Jesus' plan, Jesus' divine nature as the Son of God coming as we celebrate at Christmas, I would ask, what do you bring the Son of God? What do you bring the Son of God? These guys had this. It's not saying you need to go out and you need to sell everything you have to buy a bunch of gold and give it to the Son of God. But they had it and they brought it. You bring what you have. You bring what you are. You bring who you are to Jesus. What do you bring the Son of God who you have been anticipating? I mean, that's what the Christmas season is, right? We anticipate it for weeks. We play Christmas music. We decorate our house weeks in advance, have the Christmas tree and the lights. We're anticipating the moment that's coming tomorrow morning. We're, we're anticipating just as these guys were. The difference is they were anticipating for centuries. We're anticipating for weeks. But they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. What do you bring in anticipation of Jesus? You see, because your life, is a gift that has been given, and it's a gift to be given. It's a gift that you've been given from the Son of God, and it's a gift that you are to give in response to the Son of God. How you live, how you think, how you speak, how you, you, you interact with the world around you is a response to His action for us, coming at Christmas, living and dying and raising. He came and gave us the gift of life we have. But then he also gave us, in Jesus, who is our gift, the gift of salvation. See, Jesus himself is a gift, is a gift, a gift in his sacrifice, in his death, in his resurrection, that we have to accept. 
We have to accept the gift. We have to receive the gift. What good is a gift if you don't receive it? If you don't open it, it just sits there. You receive the gift and allow it to change you. Jesus is the gift. He was a gift and he is a gift. 